City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network, one podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure that we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every single angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. Uh, The Hornets All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. Today's show, we are going to be reacting to a tumultuous week in Charlotte Hornets basketball. It was only a week ago since we last spoke. A lot has happened since then, uh, probably headlined somehow. Kai Jones isn't the biggest story here. Miles Bridges, there has been a, a an update of sorts there, unfortunately not a positive one. But then mostly we're going to be trying to focus on some of preseason panic meter, something we did last year, uh, talking about our, our panic meter on certain topics and players and if it's running from a, a one, one being very low panic, five being absolutely panicking. And we've got a fun little ranking for that. But before I get to that, Chase, a couple of weeks ago, I challenged you to get a Mr. Beast Feastables bar for our next podcast. And I believe you've delivered. I have acquired this Feastables bar. See, it was was actually pretty funny. I think this speaks to why the Hornets got partnered with Feastables for their jersey sponsorship. Because this, the Crunch bar, which I imagine is very similar to the Nestle Crunch Bar was the yep. only one that they had, and there was only a couple of them left. And it seemed like there was like four other flavors that they would have had in stock, but they were like completely sold out. Boxes were gone and everything. These were wow. almost completely demolished or depleted themselves. So, see there, yeah that that was the one of the other ones that they had. It said like D N U T Z on the little barcode yeah, thing. I was like, I wonder nuts. what that is. Um, there, right. See? So Look today I went to the shop to buy milk. Right. And I'm okay. in the queue to buy milk and I get to the checkout and on the right next to the checkout, I see the freaking Feastables being advertised. And I was not planning to get these for today's episode. This was a Chase job. Chase is going to get Feastables and tell me we're going to taste them live. But now I can join you with a separate flavor. So this is very exciting. Uh, we're going to bring you this. So before we get into our topics, we're going to go crack open here uh, our Feastables. All and right. uh, we're gonna we're gonna share some of our thoughts. This this new jersey sponsor from uh, Mr. Beast. I watched one of his videos today, by the way. First ever Mr. Beast video I watched. I want to say I'm probably not his target market. I'm probably about ten years <laughs> too old. But actually, you know what? It was pretty good. He was doing something where he flew on a plane from one dollar and then flew on a plane for like a hundred million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. I'm not sure. There was. A lot of different types of plane journeys with different budgets, and I can see why people like it. So anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for my uh, these All nuts right. here. Let's do it. Mm. I mean, I will. I won't lie. I've already had some today, and I have some pretty strong thoughts. But I'm curious to get your thoughts. You are you're going for the crispy type. What are you making in this new Hornets sponsor logo? All right, so I, I think I probably should start by I'm very partial to the like crunch bar style candy anyway. Oh yeah. It's like easily one of my favorite candy bars. So this is like pretty pretty good. I'm I'm actually pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoy this. I mean, if it was like 
something as easily accessible as like when you walk into a gas station, it's just right there when you're going to buy milk, for example, yeah. then I would probably buy them pretty often. But obviously the, the demand seems to be pretty high. So I don't know if I'll be able to go back and get more of these, but I definitely would because this is actually like very good. What are you said? You had strong thoughts though. Are they, are they positive or well, not so positive? Jesse, how much did your bar cost you? That yes, that should be mentioned. I think it was like four dollars or like yes, three eighty nine right. or something. Exactly. Like that. Mine was like two dollars, two pound eighty, which is about four dollars or so. And right, that is a one pricey piece of chocolate, considering it's like five mil thick. <laughs> yeah, like, it's definitely a little bit on the thin side. It is thin as well, um, and it is expensive. Um, and this is this is a general thing, by the way, like. Oh, yeah. Look at that. It's like a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to people eat chocolate is probably not great podcasting. This is the first time I've ever eaten on stream. So we're learning here. Uh, I have very strong takes. And it's been like two years. I feel like that's pretty good. Yeah. I have strong takes about American chocolate in general, mainly that it just is terrible. All of it. I I don't know what you guys do with your chocolate over there. It is awful. Hershey's kisses go throw it off the Niagara Falls. I'm just not interested at all. Um, so this is actually better than some of the stuff you guys produce, but I, a few things I don't like, uh, there is, there is no like breakable seam. Do you know what I mean by that? Like it just breaks yes. into random shapes. I like consistency with my chocolate. You know, yes. if you're trying to share it, you want to be able to make sure you go 50, 50. That's not happening with this. Um, it, I thought I was going to have like peanut butter in the middle and it's like a, like goo- gooey peanut butter Reese's and it's not it's I didn't even know how to describe it and it was really expensive for what I thought was not very much so I thought like for me it was it was overpriced Mr. Beast I'm afraid I can see why you're getting so much money right now because people are spending like nearly three pounds on this tiny little thin piece of chocolate then um you're doing very well for yourself and like you say it's apparently selling well yeah no I mean he's definitely making a killing off of these things just the sales, let alone the what I imagine is a pretty lucrative jersey sponsorship as well. But yeah, the, I mean, the one other thing too is the packaging is very nice, but it's like you can feel that it it is very easy to break just from the outside also. So it would mm-hmm. definitely be something that you cannot have for very long without eating it or else you are going to risk, like, like you said, just breaking it up into a million pieces because it doesn't come apart evenly. So... It yeah. does taste good. I got you. De- you definitely got to give him that. So okay. I feel like that's the the biggest thing. So well, that's what everyone tuned in for was our Mister Feasible's review. We should probably get on to more basketball topics now because we are six minutes in. <laughs> um, first thing I, I want to say congratulations to a former podcast guest of Inside the Hive, Adam Spinella of the Game Theory Podcast. Adam Spinella of the Box and One. Um, if you listen to our pre-draft show, he came on, talked to me and Chase about some of the draft prospects this year. Uh, Adam has been hired by the Philadelphia 76ers as a scout and will now apparently be working in the same department as another former guest of ours, CJ Marcusani. So we are just bringing you a conveyor belt of Philadelphia 76ers scouts. So whoever's our next guest is going to be, maybe they go on and work for the Sixers. But uh, just a quick congratulations to Adam Spinella. It sucks because he was a great guest and I would like to have him back on next year. And because he got hired, Matthew Penny got hired, CJ got hired. Chase, I'm running out of like draft people to invite. Everyone keeps getting hired. It's This is not ideal. Yeah, that's the downside to being really good at your yeah. job in the way that Adam Spinella is, is that eventually you get swiped up by an NBA team and cannot share that gift with the public anymore. So obviously a huge loss for the sphere, but more than worth it because that is a amazing opportunity for Adam and his family. So huge congrats to it the takes real former guest of the show. Like me and you, right? Exactly. We, we managed to stay under the radar, never hired by team. It, it, you know, that's, that's where the real skill is. Anyone can just go work for a team. Right. Being average is a lot harder than it seems. Mm-hmm. And you and I, I think we, we demonstrate that fully every day. Yeah. So congrats, Adam. Um, let's move on to our first topic. Since we last spoke, Chase, um, Kai Jones has been waived. Gordon Hayward's picked up an injury. Bryce McGowan's re-sprained his left ankle. Miles Bridges has had a second ar- arrest warrant issued. He's then turned himself in, then been bailed and practiced with the team. 
and the Hornets managed to blow two fourth quarter leads in preseason and then finally won their first preseason game since 2021. Phew. Um, wow. A lot has happened this week. Um, I know guys have, have covered already on the podcast network about the Kai Jones stuff, but this is the first time we've really had a show since some more details have come out about the Miles Bridges situation. And that's what we're going to start with here. Um, I'm going to give a kind of a quick recap. I imagine most people listening to this will know all the details now, but I'll try and give a quick recap. Um, it, it basically came out that there was a court order saying that uh, Miles Bridges had breached uh, the terms of his uh, plea, no contest plea, um, and that there was an incident at his ex partner's uh, uh, house where there were pool bo- or billiard balls or pool balls and thrown. I've seen billiard and ball pool balls reported. I, I don't know why there's such inconsistent reporting about the type of uh, table sport ball, but there, there is, and that just makes about everything else seems to be inconsistent with this. So <laughs> that kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, but long story short, there was also another warrant out from January this year, which apparently hadn't been served, and there is a lack of uncertainty as to why. The whole com- situation is very, very confusing. Uh, look, we're not going to get into speculating about what has happened. We don't have facts at the minute, and that would be you know, unfair for us to do. But what we do want to talk about is the impact that this could have on the Charlotte Hornets. And and this is, I think there's three possible outcomes here, Chase. And tell me if you think this is right or if there's anything else. One, absolutely nothing happens at all. Miles Bridges spills out his 10-game suspension, which he still currently got, and then he comes back and joins the team. Two, he's suspended for an additional amount of games on top of those 10 games already for this latest breach. And then three, that because this is still going to be probably tied up in the courts once until this 10 game suspension is over. And then the NBA will have to do their own investigation. I think after this is done, that basically there's a clause in the CBA where the commissioner of the NBA can place any player on an administrative leave while they're under investigation for domestic violence um, or they're dealing with charges. So that is another option is that he's just placed on paid administrative leave uh, and then is unavailable until the NBA completes its own investigation. Um, can you see any other outcome other than any of those three right there? Um, I mean, I guess the only other outcome that is possible technically would be that he just gets waived, but it seems that that is kind of beyond sure. the realm of possibilities from a just a basketball perspective at this point, because he's already been re-signed to another contract following the events that transpired last year so at that point you your bed's already kind of made in a certain way but i mean it seems at this point that it's just kind of we have we haven't gotten any announcement from the hornets the nba or clutch sports group miles represent representation so there's been no follow-up to anything that's happened other than like news stations reporting on it and whatnot so we really have no idea where this stands from a league perspective right now it seems like it's going to be more towards the first thing you said, which is kind of nothing really happens until he goes to court on November 10th, I believe, uh, is for this recent situation that has transpired would be is his court date. So that's a little over a month from now or a little under a month from now. I'm sorry. And I can't imagine that we're going to get much more clarity between now and then. And even after that, we might not get much more in terms of like when he's going to be available or if his availability is going to change after that 10 game suspension is up. So it, it seems like we're just again in a massive like gray area, just kind of waiting to see what happens in a situation that we really don't have a precedent for to be able to look back at and be like, okay, so this the last time this is what happened. So it's just kind of a hard thing for, Hornets fans, media, anybody that follows the team to to go off of right now. It seemed like all the good we talked last week about good vibes. Didn't yes, we? we did. That was that yeah. was our we're talking about how there's good vibes around the team right now. Um Kai Jones waved, injuries, Miles Bridges second warrant. Is it fair to say that, like, for me, I, th- I think the last week has sapped a lot of those good vibes away, and now the fan base is back in this mode of being like, oh, like. Are we just going to have another injury season with off-court drama? And 
is is anything really going to change? It kind of feels a little bit like that. You know, if you ignore the performances in the preseason games, which I think have been largely better, you know, better than they have in previous years. But the vibes are not great around the team right now. I mean, Miles Bridges and the team, I think the team did release a very brief statement to uh, some media, but not on their website, which basically said the standard, like, we're aware of recent reports, we're gathering more information, blah, something of that nature. I probably should read it accurate, but I mean, you can probably make it up in your head. It's three lines and you can tell what they're going to say. Um, so, but you're right. There's not been any real mention on it. Um, I will say that if Mars Bridges is missing for more time and like, that's where my head, I just don't see a way that he can, unless this is all like, all the report was false. I don't see a world where Miles Bridges doesn't miss more time. I mean, you can you read in the CBA, one of the circumstances that impacts suspensions is a, a, an NBA player's priors. Miles Bridges literally has a prior. <laughs> this is the reason he's suspended in the first place. So if, if there's a breach again, then I don't understand how there is not more of a suspension. Otherwise, it's the NBA's way of basically saying, well, yeah, you breached the rules and you basically rebroke the law, but it's fine. And I just don't see them doing that. I see them, if anything, maybe going down even harder because it's second time and you should know your lesson. So if that happens, I've been bullish on this Hornets over 30.5, and I still would be. Even if you told me right now, Miles Bridges is out for the full year, I'd be bullish on the over. I would drop their win total down pretty considerably. I think I'd like 39 is my guess. I would maybe drop that down to like 36. 35 something in that range would would you feel a similar impact there yeah i mean it's definitely worth a couple of wins i mean i last year i don't think is fully indicative like you're not going to go from you know 40 or low or low 40s wins to high 20s or anything like that but i mean it's definitely worth you know if you say you were pegging them at 43 wins i think it's probably worth dropping it to like 40 or 41 at least from a slightly above 500 to slightly below just because Losing a player that you penciled in for a starter, for most or at least a high-end rotation player for all, all right. but those 10 games is a, a huge void to fill that you really can't do until at the earliest the trade deadline when someone with a relative skill level comes maybe comes available. That's only if that happens. Or until next summer, which at that point, the season's already over. So it'd be very tough to recover from that. But with that being said, they're still like a good team that's a – play in caliber I guess it would probably be rather than playoff caliber with miles but it definitely hurts and that is you know we're yet again we're in pretty much the exact same situation as like last summer where it's just kind of like this is a very important part of the team that is continuously yeah. having these like very serious situations arise and then we don't know what's going to happen basically until it happens which is not the easiest place to be in as a follower of the of the team, I'm sure. It's just the distraction, right? And that's what really is a distraction for the team, the coaches, everybody. I mean, that's why I was shocked that they had him back in the training facility. I think the same day he got bailed. Like, what do you think everyone is talking about at that practice at the training camp? Like, maybe they're like super professional. It's just like when they come in, it's business. But like there has to be a lot of people going around the room going, Miles is here, Miles, really, but what's what's going on? Like that's got to be there. And when you're coaching, you're trying to get people ready to play games. You're trying to get people ready to win and having that distraction there, the uncertainty lingering over the team. Now other players going, well, what's my role going to be if Miles maybe isn't here? Like the whole thing is just distraction. And, and I will say one thing. There was a brief period of time when Miles Bridges changed his Twitter profile picture to Johnny Depp, who... For those who may not, I believe Johnny Depp got cleared of some domestic violence charges to his ex-partner in a big high-profile court case. I mean, talk about just like cap, like you're already a distraction. Irrelevant. This is true, not true. Just like don't go doing that. Why are you drawing more attention to it? It's so infuriating, people. And he changed it back. And I can guarantee you, his business manager, his agent, someone's calling Miles up, going, Miles, what are you doing, man? Like. This is a terrible, terrible move from you in every aspect. No one wins from you doing this. And he, he changed it back and, you know, it didn't really get picked up. But that was something I noticed and something other people noticed. And it's, uh, it's just a 
weird move. This isn't a joke. Do you know what I mean? This is this is real life. This is serious. So irrelevant of this, if it's like it is all made up or it isn't, you don't go like sub tweeting it online with funny profile picture changes. Like you've got to give it more respect than that. Yeah, it's it just it's sucks to have to deal with situations that are this serious of an off court perspective when 29 other teams around the league for the most part are just having their preseason, you know, yeah. figuring out who's going to be in the rotation, deciding who's going to make the roster and then the Hornets are having to deal with stuff like this for the second year in a row. So, not great. No. And look, we have to touch on it. We, you can't do a Hornets podcast and not touching it. It's it's impossible, right? Uh, it bleeds into everything that this team does. I mean, like on the court, this team now looks a little... You, we talked about the, the, the depth that was in like the wing going into the season. But now you've got Bryce McGowan, who I think is going to be out multiple weeks. You've got James Bucknight, who's out for a month. You've got Maz Bridges, who's going to be out. We already knew to start the season. You've got three wing options. I mean, all of a sudden, this Hornets team is actually looking pretty thin on the wing. Uh, Gordon Hayward already has a, an injury. Hopefully, that's something that's going to keep him off the court. But there is definitely some concern, I think, that this team, uh, Miles Bridges was going to be that like sixth man, potentially off the bench. You don't worry so much about your lack of point guard when you've got Brandon Miller and maybe Miles Bridges as the ball handlers in the second unit. Well, that's not going to happen now, we think, for a little period of time. Um, so on the court, it definitely hurts his depth and it definitely hurts how this team's been put together. And this team has now been waiting for Miles Bridges to get back on the court for too long. And if that's further delayed, I can't imagine the new ownership are going to have much patience for this situation. Any more on the Miles Bridges update? I mean, as, as we get more news, we will update. Um, but it seems everyone seems very laissez-faire just leaving it as it is at the minute not really talking about it practicing away I, I don't know if there's much more to say right now we have to wait till we get some sort of outcome yeah i don't i don't think there is much more to say i think we've gotten through all of it so far okay let's move on to part two our panic preseason panic meter um this is where we talk about various topics and we're going to give them the rating between one and five and have a little bit of fun with the rating system here. Um, rather than just saying I'm a one out of five, I'm a five out of five, we're going to assign former Hornet draft picks to the different ratings. So if if you are five out of five panicked, we're saying that you're an Adam Morrison level panic. High draft pick, complete bust. If you're four out of five panic, we're going to say you're in the Cody Zeller zone. You get high draft pick, you are, you are fine, but like there are some real concerns there and you look back and now and you go, God, I wish we'd, you know, got better value at the time. Three out of five, perfectly respectable where they are. PJ Washington, um, current member of the team. Uh, like late lottery pick, a perfectly solid, like end of rotation, start, end of kind of starter or like high upside bench player. Then four out of five, we've got Baron Davis. Great player. Picked up high, did really well. Um, definitely not, not the absolute pinnacle that you're reaching, but very good. And then five out of five, it has to be the one and only Kemba Walker. Picked late lottery, made all NBA third team, um, you know, legend in Charlotte, carried that team for many years. So when we say we're a, we're a Kemba Walker, that means we're not concerned at all. We're, we're really happy with what we're seeing. If we're seeing Adam Morrison, then like Adam Morrison, you can see on the stream here, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, we are just about ready to cry ourselves to sleep at night. So... Um, are you ready to get going here with our panic meter, Chase? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, first up, our topic on the panic meter. Where are you at for preseason panic meter on the Hornets backup ball handler situation? So right now, I'm at a four. My, my Cody Zeller level of the panic meter here. but And this is only really a four for me because playmaking can be supplemented by non-point guards in the right environment, the right setting. Uh, but unfortunately, the Hornets don't have that either. Uh, they don't have very many secondary ball handlers at other positions. They don't have big men that are capable of running offense at the high elbows or frequent DHO partners or doing anything other than finishing off the roll, really. Um, and more to, and then we'll talk more about that later also. But uh, on top of the issues with the point guard obviously Lamelo is a great guard 
He's one of the league's best passers. And Terry Rozier, I think, has improved a lot as a like the secondary initiator, especially since his first couple of seasons in Charlotte. But after that, like there's really not a single player capable of handling point guard duties on the 15-man roster, which is an important distinction because right now Teo Maladon is only on a two-way contract. If you want him available for every single game this season, like right off the bat, you would have to sign him. And I right now I feel like you might as well just roll with the 15-man ro- roster you have now and utilize that two-way slot since you've already signed him to that. But that is going to be a huge issue for a team that's trying to compete down the stretch if that 15-man roster is still full and his availability runs out because then you just can't use him and you have to replace someone that is on the roster. You have to release someone that's on the roster to uh, replace their spot with Teo. So it's just it's only a four because it it could be fixed if maybe Cody Martin gets healthy. Brandon Miller is a high-level playmaker. We talked about Miles Bridges being a secondary playmaker. If he ends up being available for most of the season, that would help too. But that's just asking a lot of like growth from players that aren't supposed to be like high-level playmakers to begin with. And you're only tasking them, tasking them with that because you have to, and you, you didn't have to is, is the problem. And, I think we're way too far beyond the point of being able to fix that. So it's it's just going to be tough to do anything other than, like, I guess, run Edmund Sumner or Frank Nielakina, I guess, as your third guard right now, which is not inspiring for a team trying to compete for a top eight seed in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, it, it's definitely not. Um, I mean, Steve Clifford is going to go with Frank Nielakina, it seems, to start the season, um, who... I would say in the first two games, really struggled running the unit. And I think in the Oklahoma City game, he did look better. Um, level of competition there wasn't the best. He was playing the backup backups of the OKC. Uh, but look, it's progress. He's not played with the ball in his hand now for a few years. Maybe it'll take a little bit of time for him to get it back up to speed, uh, having the ball. I have to say, one thing I noticed about Frank Nilakina, my gosh, he is the slowest first step. Like, I think there's guys I play with who have a quicker first step than Frank Nilakina. Um, He's obviously got a lot of talent in other areas on the defensive end, but speed uh, and burst is definitely not one of the things that he's blessed with. Um, I, 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 At the minute, myself, I think I'm I'm going straight into the deep end. I'm, I'm at the Morrison level of panic. Um, I'm pretty concerned. I'm crying about this backup point guard situation at the minute. Like you say, I don't, I think as soon as you get one injury in that backcourt, there's going to be real challenges in terms of getting this team into their stuff, creating. <clears throat> I think at the minute you can see it already that Steve Clifford has actually been in the last couple of games, staggering Lamelo ball, taking him out early and then putting him back in with the bench unit. So that those kind of Lamelo bench unit without Lamelo minutes are kind of kept to a minimum. And that's something that they're going to have to do. And that's going to then have to that knock-on impact on the starting unit because they're not going to be able to play with each other as long. Um, and like we said, the hope here is that Nilakina or Sumner, one of them comes out of training camp, or Maladon, who's been injured, unfortunately. And it's unclear how much of training camp Maladon got to do. He, he's missed all preseason, but it's hard to know if he was healthy in training camp or not. We've not really got that update. But no one really seems to have taken a stranglehold clearly on that spot in the eyes of, I think, most people watching. From what Steve Clifford has seen, he seems pretty confident it's going to be Frank Nilakina. But I just think you're you're pinning a lot on Frank Nilakina, basically proving he can be a backup point guard in the NBA when the last seven seasons have suggested that that's not really what his skill set is. Right. And he, Steve Clifford said after their preseason game or before maybe, he views Frank Nielakina as one of the best defenders in the league and that there aren't that many guys that can defend on the ball in the way that he can, which I can see why he forms that opinion. I don't disagree or I don't agree with it necessarily. I would disagree pretty strongly with him being like one of the elite defenders in the NBA. But if he got that opinion from watching film over the last like year or two, that was as a wing. Like Frank Nielakina was not playing a guard over the with Dallas especially but really ever since like his first or second season he has been pretty exclusively like defending like twos and threes I believe he logged like one or two percent of his total minutes last year at power forward with Dallas like he is just not a point guard in the sense of like uh, offensively at least he can certainly defend those players but 
I've said, I feel like this is going to be a huge thing throughout the year. That like defense is not the problem with this team anymore, combined with like what they have for a coach and the bigs that they have and the wings, at least, and for having Frank Neal Aquina, they like don't need to supplement their lineup with defense. Like they need playmakers and scorers, especially in the second unit. Like they were the 30th ranked offense last year. They weren't that much higher on defense on the season, but they did finish in the top 10 from February onward. There was no point in the season where their offense was anything higher than like 25th. So I think they that's what that needs to be the focus here. And Frank Milikina is not going to provide that for you, which, you know, you're. I don't know if you're getting it with Edmund Sumner either, but I think you at least would have a better chance. But I, I, I see why Steve Clifford feels the way that he does, at least. I, I would still keep an eye out on camp cuts around the league. Um, mm-hmm. There is, is true. a clear, Very there true. is a clear backup spot here, and there is a lot of rosters who need to cut and wave guys. OKC, San Antonio, I think have got at least two or three guaranteed guys and guaranteed contracts they need to wave. And there's a real role and opportunity. I mean, Frank Milikina would arguably be in the second unit as the backup wing right now, next to Brandon Miller, I think, especially with these injuries with Martin Buck Knight, uh, you know, etc. We talked about McGowan's. Um, so I, I still think there's a role for Frank Nilakina on the team. Like you said, it's just not a point guard. So I would still keep an eye out for that. I hope they, you know, do. I hope they make a move because one injury to Rozier or Lamella Ball, and I have real questions about this offense just getting getting off the runway. Um, you know, when Lamella Ball is out the game, this team plays slow. So that is definitely a concern. Uh, so yeah, I'm full Adam Morrison, five out of five level of panic for the Hornets backup point guard, but hopefully Nilakina can grow into the role. Um, should we go on to our next one here? Let's roll. Let's go with our center depth. Obviously, Kai Jones, we've not had that much. Last time we spoke, Kai Jones had requested his own trade. Well, sorry, Kai, you didn't get traded, but you did get waived. So you can now can go sign anywhere you want. Apparently, he was happy about that. Good for Kai, uh, I guess. Uh, wherever you sign, that could be interesting. <laughs> um, center depth. I'm saying that for me right now, you've got Mark Williams, you've got Nick Richards, you've got, in theory, PJ Washington and maybe JT Thor, who could maybe do it. Um, I'm saying that I'm a PJ Washington. So I'm going to say that I'm three out of five. One, because PJ Washington is actually maybe the answer to why I'm a three out of five here. And and also because uh, I think just having a small ball center in PJ and JT Thor is not a terrible spot to be in. Um, Nick has shown to be a pretty available guy. He came back after his ankle injury last year. Mark Williams even played with that thumb injury that he got early in the season. So I feel pretty good about those two. They're both young guys. They're not guys who have necessarily like knee issues or anything like that going forward or foot issues. They've generally stayed pretty healthy. So I'm a three out of five. I'm a PJ Washington um, for the center depth. But again, I would not rule out the looking to add here. I think I wrote earlier in the week, peacefulhornets.com, about them adding a, a, a potentially adding James Naji. That is something that technically they can do. I don't think they will. I don't think they want to, but it is a, te- it is a possibility. Um, and there are other, again, guys who could get cut and camp over the next week who maybe they look at and go, yeah, we want to bring in that veteran big. Because only having two traditional bigs on a Steve Clifford team I'm, you know Steve Clifford wants to have a third big in there. I'm at the exact same spot in my panic meter for the exact same reason. P.J. Washington himself makes me significantly less worried about the lack of depth yeah. behind Mark Williams and Nick Richards. So it's very fitting that he is the level that we're at on the panic meter here. The only problem, though, is like I Steve Clifford just doesn't seem willing to do that. And I don't think he's going to unless he has to. But... Having that like diversity of matchups, I think that you can throw at people or other teams is like a pretty significant strength that the Hornets could have, especially if JT can play center too, because then you just get like a spacing five that you can put with PJ. JT is like a off ball, like roaming five with extreme length and athleticism that you can put out there as like a weak side, like discount, like Robert Williams type of role almost. And then Mark and Nick obviously are like massive drop defenders. So you could really do a lot and you can match up with pretty much any team by putting any of those four at the five. But it's just that 
especially for Mark and Nick, if any of those guys go down, then like you just have nothing behind because you don't even have a, a big on a two-way contract right now. Nathan Mensa's on an E10, so he's going to have to get waived in the preseason or given a standard contract, which does not seem likely. Uh, and then he's just going to go join Greensboro as an affiliate player. He won't be able to be called up and sent down as in the way that a two-way player can unless one of those players has moved on from. But that's a whole line of transactions that you'd have to go through to get there. I just don't know that they have any will. Like, I don't know if Steve Clifford, I shouldn't say they, has any willingness to like tap into that matchup unless, before he has to, which I, I think is probably not going to help in the long run because at least I feel like at least you'd want to see what it looks like before you have to do it like Nick gets wraps up four fouls in 13 minutes and then Mark needs a breather like you kind of have then you'd just be deciding on the fly who you're going to put at the five maybe it's PJ maybe it's JT depending on the matchup I feel like you'd rather just kind of have that worked into your playbook and the sample size that you have already to be able to determine what you do but I don't know. I, I, I do you remember any instance in which PJ has played center under Steve Clifford where Nick or Mark weren't injured? I don't even know if he ever has been. The there was guy there, were, there was a couple. There was at least one game last year where I know I saw it because I remember thinking, "Oh my god, it's like being back in okay. 2020." Uh, but yeah. I believe it was like due to foul trouble or something. About right. It. Yeah. It, it wasn't like. Uh, I'm going to do this because I think it's the best thing for the game. It's like, oh, well, let's look at this because we kind of have to. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, for the, the big thing for PJ Washington, if they, if they want PJ Washington to start at center, it's defensive rebounding. It's not shot blocking. That's what a lot of people think. Oh, he's only 6'8". It, it's not that. It's the fact that, and if you look back at the season where he did play, you remember how bad the Charlotte Hornets were at rebounding that basketball and defensive end when he was playing small ball five? It was, it was embarrassing. It was one of the biggest clear weaknesses of any single playoff team or play-in team in the league. Um, and that's the thing. And PJ Washington, I think he had, what was it, 30-something points of the night. He had a really good offensive game. I know at halftime he had zero rebounds. Uh, I don't know what he finished with in the end. But that's the big thing for PJ is just being able to be active in the glass. And I know playing power forward, he's more out on the perimeter, so he's not going to get rebounds. And if he's playing center, but... We have evidence that he does struggle on the defensive end when rebounding as well. So that's the biggest thing. And, and maybe, like I say, if you play PJ and JT Thor together at power forward and center, maybe that helps you a little bit because you've got two guys there who've got length and size. Although, again, JT Thor is not exactly a monster rebounder either. He's more long and rangy rather than some guy kind of who's going to be able to bring down 10 rebounds. So definitely an area for improvement. But... um yeah, it could be it could be another position they look to support in through cuts or through another move elsewhere. Okay, next up, uh, let's talk about Mark. No, let's talk about Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller, second overall pick. We we've, we've seen three games of Brandon Miller now. Um, the whole NBA world was panicking about Skew Henderson should have been the pick. The Hot Charlotte Hornets have been basically a running joke for most of the NBA media for most of the summer. Um, after seeing three games, Chase, very close to you specifically here as a big Scoo guy. Where are you in your Brandon Miller panic meter after seeing a bit of Scoo, a bit of Brandon? I am at a firm Kemba Walker. Number one, oh, very low panic level. We have a convert. Uh, I mean, I'm perfectly willing to be extremely wrong about Brandon Miller. I would be delighted to be wrong about Brandon Miller. I, I obviously am way too early to form definitive opinions still. But, I mean, his mid-range game specifically, I think that's what I'm going to focus on here because that has, like, been what easily the most impressive thing to me. He got to show it a lot in college. You could probably argue that that was, like, or not in college, in high school, that it was probably his strength in high school as a, as a recruit. He didn't get to show it very much in college at all because Alabama is much more of, like, a threes yeah. and layups type of offense. But he, he sees the game and reads defenses so well from that, like, 15-foot range that – one dri that two dribble pull up he took off of that handoff from Mark where he like snaked through the defense and pulled it up right from the foul line. Like those pull ups like barely hit the net. Like the he is just so good at getting like the perfect amount of lift on his jumper to shoot over anybody, and he remains on balance the entire time. So fundamentally sound, very good ball handler, and he can get to those spots as well. Like 
I, the athleticism, I think, is still a concern with getting like all the way to the rim or with creating space from beyond the arc, uh, which he has still struggled with efficiency from three-point range so far. I believe he's still below 30% from three in the preseason and obviously had a pretty rough go of it from deep in summer league. But, I mean, the second-level scoring and being able to weave his way to the basket in the way that you know a lot, a, a lot of these wing scorers that are all-stars or borderline all-stars, average 25 points a game can do, Brandon Miller has done that in abundance in the first couple of games so far. So I'm very pleased with what we've seen. Pretty much no complaints or any negatives that I've seen across the first couple of games, apart from like general rookie mistakes of defensive lapses or bad passes or shots or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he got back cut by Aaron Wiggins. Yes. Yeah. That was a, that was a, yeah. oh, rookie, you got to pay attention there. Your head's got to be on a swivel a little bit more. Um, well, the, how tables have turned because I'm a four. I'm a four out of five. I'm a, I'm a Baron Davis. I'm Brandon Miller. Okay. Uh, I'm, I have a very very okay. low level of concern, but um, I I think the big thing for me is for Brandon Miller to be a number two pick worthy player. Like he has to be not just like a good outside shooter. He needs to be an outstanding outside shooter because that was one of the big things. One of his big selling points, and I still believe that's what he'll be. But now between Summer League and the preseason, the three-point shot has been a little bit disappointing. We can say that. It's okay. We're all aware it's only a small sample size. It looks great. And his touch elsewhere he's shown has been fantastic. And I'd say he's probably excelled in other areas. But his three-point shot, so far the efficiency has not quite been there. So that is the only reason that I am bumping it down just a tiny bit to to a, yeah, a Baron Davis level. So, um, yeah, overall, I've been really impressed with what we've seen from, from Miller. He, like, I know you keep hearing that he doesn't get sped up, but that's just so true when you watch him play. Like, he looks so comfortable in the NBA game already. I know it's only preseason, but uh, you can just tell he has got a fantastic feel for the game. And I can see why, like, so many people would love to play with a guy like that. Passes it, shoots it, makes the right play. and. When we talk about ball handling in that second unit, honestly, I think Brandon Miller might be the point guard. <laughs> they won't do it early on because they'll want to ease him into it. But if we're if he's still coming off the bench by February, March, that second unit is being run through Brandon Miller, I think, not Frank Nilakina and one of the wings who is maybe back by that point. Um, I, I just think he's that good, Chase. I think. Interesting, like if you cast your mind back to Lamella Ball when we saw him as a as a rookie, once we'd seen two or three games, where is your excitement level compared to like Brandon Miller versus Lamella Ball at a similar similar point in time? I know it's hard to do that, but see, I think Lamello, just given the flair and creativity that he plays with, was yeah. probably a little higher. And maybe just like the general like media hype train that surrounded him i mean i i also had him ranked higher as the number one player in that class so i doubt i would probably be pretty solidly lamello there but that's nothing against brandon miller i mean like he has been super good so far lamello was like the thing like was it i think this was like the second preseason game he threw that like three-quarter court underhand assist that went over the entire defense to malik monk for like some crazy dunk and it was just like, okay, this is this guy does not play basketball in the way that most other people play the game. And Brandon Miller doesn't have that same level of uniqueness to him, but boy, do we need like an all-star wing scorer in the city of Charlotte. Cause like when was the last time that this team had a guy on the wing that we think projects to be like as good as Brandon Miller at that size as like a shooter and playmaker that that this stage in their career, like you're going to be getting him for his prime years. And he's already this like smooth, patient, like confident. He seems like he has a requisite toughness on defense to be like a competitive he can, winning player. He can defend. I, I, yes, I, he, he very thing. much can. I talked about he this in the process. I said, like, I think he's one of the most underrated defenders in the draft. I think he's a really good defender. Uh, he challenged absolutely everything, he can switch. He was an interior presence, even at size 6'9", but also like long enough on the on the outside. Um, 
We saw that chase down block I think he had in maybe the yes. first preseason game. When was the last Hornets wing you saw do a chase down transition block like that? Like that, that is a, those skills are reserved normally for like some of the very best wings in the game. I'm thinking back, I'm thinking Paul George, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Gerald Wallace, probably a guy who Charlotte Hornets or Bobcats fans will know. You know, those chase down blocks from behind where you catch people, you you have the motor, you read the game to know what time it, you have the length, you have all these things. And he has that. And he, he's shown a little bit of athleticism. We all saw the dunk, right? <laughs> Which could have been the highlight of the year. I, I, I jumped up so hard when that happened and like threw my hands down that I thought I rebroke my little finger, which I broke playing basketball earlier this year because I like hit into my metal belt buckle and it, I, I was like celebrating slash absolutely. And then I wasn't even sure if it counted or not. I was so confused. Um, I mean, that that dunk was absolutely mega. And, gave, you know, we saw it a little bit in Summer League. He had that massive dunk in Summer League too. So um, I think he's... He's looked really good to me. Really, in fact, I'm going to bump it up to Kemba Walker. I I don't want to be I don't want to be anywhere else other, other than all in on Brandon Miller. So I'm I'm bumping it up to Kemba Walker. Baron Davis, you're good, but I'm I'm bumping it up. I I think Brandon Miller has less holes in his game now than the Mellow did as a rookie. I'm not saying he's going to be better, but I think he's a better all round player. And I think from a coach's point of view, he will make less mistakes than the Mellow Ball will do. I think that's always like guaranteed, but probably won't be able to maybe take over the game as much as LaBella Ball can do. Even as someone who really liked LaMelo at the time, and especially now, I think I probably agree with that. Like, I don't think the gap in playmaking is as big as the gap as where Brandon Miller is now defensively to where LaMelo is defensively or in terms of his shot selection or anything like that. So I actually think I would agree with that. And I mean, that is the exact type of player that's going to fit well in a Steve Clifford Grand team. So I'm yeah. very excited to see him get going. Would not be surprised at all if he's playing like huge, like starter level minutes, basically, but even off the bench, even after yeah. like two weeks of the season. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he's a starter at the by the deadline. Nope. Okay, next up. Um, panic meter. Preseason injuries. We talked how a week ago we were like, oh, the injuries aren't so bad. You know, all the guys who are hurt are just guys who are like on the fringe of the rotation. Uh, things have changed. Gordon Hayward has a foot injury, but he is back pre-practice today and he's back to be available for late this week uh, as everything goes to plan. Bryce McGowan's, we don't have a timeline yet, but I'm telling you, he's in a boot and he's going to be out multiple weeks. I can almost guarantee it. That ankle sprain in the Thunder game, that looked like it hurt when he stepped yeah. on Nick's foot. His ankle bent like very close to like a 90 degree angle. That on was, a restrained that was ankle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's gonna take a while. That's he immediately while. like waved his hand to the bench, like, Yeah, I need a trainer, like sub me out. Yeah, he yeah, that did not look great. Um, so yeah, where where are you where are you at? Where are you at with injuries right now? How concerned are you a week on? Uh, I mean, it seems like we just like spoke all of this bad luck into existence because I mean, I'm, I, I got to be at like a four by now because the Gordon Hayward thing specifically doesn't really worry me. Obviously, the fact that it's like a labeled injury means that it's possible that it's something significant ish or yeah. that's not something that he's just resting basically. But part of me, a lot a bigger part of me believes that it's just like veteran rest for the preseason. I believe you have you can only list players as out for rest like once or twice or something like that so maybe that's why just in case they wanted to keep him out for the rest of the preseason they were just like oh because i think it's right foot discomfort is the official listing that he has um, which is always a scary listing to me because i'm like well what does that mean like and and my head always goes straight to oh no there's a lingering stress fracture which has been getting there now he's ramped up and playing basically every day there's an injury but from what i understand and people i didn't see this in that first game that apparently after one of the plays, he kind of came up a little bit gimpy and it, it did actually happen in a play. So it was, I think that's good news that it's not just that as soon as he's ramped up, he's got foot pain. Something actually happened, which, which, you know, hurt it. Um, but we don't have any detail exactly on what that was. Yeah. And I think for now, I, I we can at least be relatively optimistic because Steve Clifford has all but certainly said that he's going to play Thursday. He'd, didn't say definitively, but yeah. lean strongly towards him going to play against Boston um, later in the week. So 
should be good. Get another preseason game in there. And then if he plays that game, we can assume that he's going to be available opening night as well. But I mean, for Cody Martin, that one, that's where the panic meter rises up. Bryce McGowan's obviously is going to be out for what we'd imagine is like a couple weeks. And then Teo Maladon and Leaky Black, two of your three two-way players who would be playing at like the end of these games right now in garbage time in the preseason, getting to like prove themselves and maybe graduate off of that two-way contract or at least show that they can play in the case of emergency, just kind of popped up on the injury report one day before the preseason opener against Miami, didn't travel with the team on the road games and have not been ruled available for any of the games since. So it's just a lot of like small parts that add up to being pretty significant, especially now that Bryce McGowan's has been re-injured again. Because at the time last week, we were like, okay, he'll maybe miss this first game and almost certainly be back for the second one. And that did happen. We were right about that. He looked pretty much fine up until he got hurt again. Uh, But now it's just going to be a much longer time off period for him. Who's the backup shooting guard on this team? Nick Smith. Or... Maybe Edmund Sumner, I guess. But to me, I would Yikes. I would choose Nick Smith, I think. But Yikes. yeah, it's you're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. And if you're, that's if kind you're of start, what happens when you don't use your MLE or your BAE and well, only sign non-guaranteed players for, as free agents. So I don't know. This is just kind of the situation that they put themselves in here. The second unit backcourt to start the year could very possibly be Frank Milikina and one of Nick Smith Jr. or Edmund Sumner. Which is uh, less than ideal, we would say. I, I don't say know what is, is this preseason chase. I don't know if I'm the only person suffering this, but whenever anybody has any form of physical contact with another player or falls on the ground, I have a chill go through my entire body because <laughs> this last year I've just become programmed, not even longer than a year, with Gordon Hayward and the Mellow Ball, that's three years, that someone's just going to get hurt. You know, the Hornets have been cursed with serious injuries at the start of the season before Nick Batum did it in one of the first games of the season. Michael Gilchrist. Uh, I, I can't, I don't know if I can do this for 82 games, Chase, watching like every time anyone hits the ground, I'm like, oh my God, he's out. He's done. He's done for the year. Um, you know, I'm thinking about who's going to, who they're going to have to try and sign off the scrap heap. Um, I just think I need to like, get back on the bike you know it's i'm just having like ptsd from injuries from the last few years this isn't healthy i need to speak to someone no this is just life as a hornets fan i think you just we just gotta adjust this is just what happens it seems so it's it's i don't know how significant it can get really like unless it happens another significant player in the rotation gets injured but i mean it's about as like dire of a situation you can get in terms of like regular season depth for your non-rotation players as it can be without because like pretty much everybody that's not in the rotation right now is injured yeah other than nick smith like that's pretty like everybody else is playing already like so if someone gets injured like there are like three guys that can come in like (laughs) it's a very short list that we're running here i'm hopeful they can get a couple back before this thursday game like maybe a maladon would be nice to have him back be able to get to see him at least a little bit in preseason because I, mm-hmm. I still think he's got a chance to potentially stake a claim for that role. Um, I think he's the one reading the tea leaves who might be maybe closest to being back, apart, apart from Gordon Hayward, that is. Um, but but yeah, we'll have to have to have a see there. But yeah, with preseason injuries, I'm in the Zeller zone. I'm a I'm a four out of five again. I they can't afford for any more people to get hurt because they're already down to guys you never thought would be in the rotation, potentially being there on night one with a one position. That's probably just about doable. But yeah, we can't have any more. So uh, no more injuries, please. Touch and wood here. Um, okay, la- last couple more to go. Do you want to do Lamella Ball or Mark Williams next? Hmm. Well, we'll save the best for last, quite literally. We'll, we'll leave Lamella for the end and we'll touch on Mark here first. Okay, Mark Williams. Um, I'm Kemba Walker right now. I am one out of five. I'm not panicked at all. Um, the He obviously has got strapping on that right thumb. He had to get surgery on that in the offseason. But he's looked, I just think he's looked really good, especially defensively, uh, even more so. Maybe offensively, like he's not been looking for the ball as much as he maybe was at the end of last year. But 
that's because he's playing with much more talented players now in the starting unit. And I love the chemistry that him and Lamella Ball have been showing already in the pick and roll. I, I know that's something Steve Clifford talked about a lot during training camp. And there's now been five, six plays I can count off my head where either Lamello or Mark have been able to, to get baskets. And I'm really liking some of the synergy that I'm seeing there. So defensively, he's been everywhere, blocking everything. Um, I'm the least worried that I can be for Mark Williams. I think he's going to have a fantastic year. I'm with you. I'm Kemba Walker for this one as well. Very low. One, one on the panic meter here. The ability that he has to contain the ball as like a drop coverage big in ball screens and also like step up to the level and like not necessarily like guard in space, but at least like shuffle his feet and stay in front of people and change the direction of ball handlers and rollers is like it's so impressive. And it's like this is where the all defense potential, I think, comes from. He is like a perfect like middle ground between someone like Nick Claxton, who's like more of a mobile, like perimeter, lanky big, and then someone like Rudy Gobert, who's more anchor, like paint bound. He can do a little bit of both, can be he very scheme malleable. He, I would imagine that this is something that they tap into maybe if they get like really like into the weeds with injuries and like foul trouble here. I think that if they play zone, I think Mark would be like really, really good at that, like in the way that. PJ was like a couple years ago, but just by turning PJ into a guy that's like seven two, he's it can fit into like any type of defense. He can you can rely on him to be your anchor. I just think that there's like so many ways that he's going to be successful this year. Like there's almost no type of coverage that you can't put him in and rely. Right. And this honestly goes for Nick too in in a lot of regards, which has been pretty impressive about their center rotation this year. But Mark is just so versatile and so good he's like replacement level at pretty much everything you would ask of like a role-playing center and there's only room to go up from there really so it's it's all signs are pointing towards mark williams having an extremely effective season being a great fit with Lamelo and all, all the other players on the roster as well so really excited to watch mark you think about bigs who get played off the court in the playoffs which does happen yes it is because they're normally they're very good at doing a specific thing and the team can no longer do that particular defensive play style or whatever it is because the other team is picking at it, right? You, you, it's a great point you've made. And I've, I've never thought about it before. You are right. Mark Williams can be versatile defensively. He can play the Walker Kester role. He can play the Claxton role. I got asked it the other day, would you rather have Walker Kester or Mark Williams? And I know this is probably the, you know, uh, only people who cover the Hornets who maybe give this answer. I would rather have Mark Williams. I think um, I would too. I like said. Walker Kessler a lot, but I think I, yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think he is much more mobile. Um, he is, a, again, he's a little bit younger than Walker Kessler too. And I just think he's got a better offensive game all around. Like he's a better free throw shooter. Um, I think he has better footwork scoring. Like I think you can probably score mismatches a little bit more than Kessler. Um, Kessler was in a great situation last year and he took full advantage and he had a, he had a really freaking amazing year. I mean, I was so impressed with Walker Kessler and I think it is close. I don't think it's a home run by any means, but I would still keep my Mark Williams stock before buying Walker Kessler stock right now. Okay, last one. Lamella Ball. Um, I'll kick us off. I'm saying I'm a Baron Davis. I'm a, again, a kind of two out of five with Lamella. Um, I think he looks healthy, which is the biggest thing, right? We found out that he'd only just started doing, uh, like, actually, like, contact in, in training and stuff, basically in September, which was a little bit later than I think maybe we heard. But I think Steve Clifford said that in one of the games. Uh, and he looks – I feel like he's got his burst. I feel like he has confidence going into the rim. He's not playing in a way that I think we saw him play last year where he was tentative more to kind of push off that ankle when he was playing with the sprain. Um. But I will say some of the poor shot selection that plagued him last year has remained. And that's been something that, again, maybe he's just trying to get out of the system or shoot his way into form. But um, but, but overall, his impact on the game, I mean, he does, he makes so many mistakes, but still you, like, you look at the full body work and it's like, wow, you have got your 
fingerprints all over this game. You are dictating everything both teams do, both teams are doing, and you kind of have to live with some of those mistakes. It's a little bit like Russell Westbrook, different player, but Westbrook came with certain things that you just had to go. Yeah, he doesn't do that, but he does all these other things, and he impacts the team so much. I, I kind of feel the same way with Lamelo Ball at times. Yeah, that's actually a great comparison in a, in a much different way, but it's just the positives, especially in basketball, where the game is much more predicated on just scoring a lot of points rather than trying to stop your opponent from scoring a lot of points. It's just the positives are always going to outweigh the negatives for Lamelo, And the biggest thing for me so far, too, is that confidence driving towards the rim and finishing, especially through contact. His handle looks great, too. I think he maybe looks a little bit shift maybe not shiftier but at least much more in control of his body when he's in traffic especially the crossovers are just as quick and sharp and decisive as they always have been so the i like you said the burst and quickness is all the way back it seems from that ankle injury uh he definitely hasn't shot well and the the starters have for the most part like completely outperformed the opposing starting lineups that they've played against both OKC which was obviously a depleted lineup but still and then Washington and Miami, which were mostly healthy, they've outplayed those team starters in all of those games, like pretty much yeah. handedly. But they just they haven't shot well, and especially Lamelo, his his three has been very off so far in the preseason. So I and that, that I, I think is obviously going to come around, but maybe the shot selection is contributing to that a little bit too. But I, I at, at least right now the. Ability to withstand contact or at least the ability to seek it out and not shy away from it is a huge thing for me because he's never been like a bad finisher, like touch wise. It's just the ability to finish among the trees and withstand that contact from guys that are a lot bigger than him hasn't always been there. And if he's not going to get like a lot stronger, like at least being confident enough to use that touch would help a lot. And it seems like he's getting there. Uh, at the rim so far in preseason, Lamella Ball is 8, eight of 12. Um, so, again, shooting a, a really good percentage at the rim. Um, on dribble jumpers, he is uh, 1 of 10. So that's where you've seen the inefficiency there. And, and we have a good track record to know that Lamella Ball is good off to dribble. So, again, I'm not really concerned about that. I think that is maybe rustiness, maybe being like getting your win back, which obviously lots, sometimes your shots can be a little bit off. Again, I've said this before. If he just dialed back, some of these dribble jumpers are just not good shots. And I, I made a post about this the other day when he took, I think, a transition three with 21 seconds on the shot clock. And then Sam Bassini yes. had on his podcast, he spoke about I, the exact I, play. I, I was like literally just going to say, Sam gave you a shout out with that one. That, that was so funny when I was listening to that podcast. And I was like, wait, that's the exact tweet that I saw James yes. post like 12 hours ago. But yeah, um, a lot of early shot clock, like, and especially like the deep threes that aren't like wide open. It's just like, it's different if you're off the catch and nobody's in front of you and you're in transition or something. But if, if there's any amount of difficulty, just run an offense, which well, you've heard I think we'll he wants the ball to hit the paint before every, pretty much every shot, like unless which it's is like a, a wide open. Very, very sound goal to have as a successful offense. And there are just too many possessions where he just, he calls us, he calls you know his own number a little bit too early. Um, but I I saw a really good quote the other day um, that I think is fair because I'd say that I'm probably like more. I, I criticize the Melly Ball more now, uh, probably like more than most, and he's the team's best player by far. And this is a quote. This I saw from the England rugby play the other day. He was talking about a, a different thing altogether, but he said. As ever, the tallest tree catches the most wind and seems and he seems to catch a fair bit. And I think that's the fair amount of ball. He is the tallest tree and he does catch the most wind because he his weaknesses are really apparent and they're really clear and they're so easy to fix some of them. Uh, you know, this is a shot selection thing. This isn't mechanics. This is just a, a decision-making thing that you can spot on film that you can, you know, get from your coaches and your vets. But, um, but look, I'm not worried at all, really. Like I said, I'm a Baron Davis. I'm feeling pretty good about what I've seen from the ball so far. He's going to stuff the stat sheet this year, points, rebounds, assists. Um, I have no doubt about that. So, yeah, overall, it's been a, a good start. And I think there's been a, a level of improvement up from what he played last year, despite the counting stats being up last season. I think he's been better in this preseason.
Agreed. Defensively, especially, oh, taking a huge yeah, step forward. Right. We should have mentioned that. We should have mentioned yes. the defensive stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Clearly making more effort on that end. Yeah. Him and Mark have developed a two. Uh, you mentioned it on the offensive end. I think it works defensively as well in ball screens and in handoffs and stuff. He, Lamelo seems to have like much more, you know, I guess aggressiveness in jumping out to help and making sure that he closes out on defenders when he gets stuck behind a screen or something like that. So, I mean, that, that's been noticeable in the preseason. So you, you imagine that that's going to tick upwards a little bit more, even in the regular season. And if they get lucky enough to make it to the postseason, So that, that is other than the finishing is probably my favorite thing that I've seen from him so far this preseason. Yeah. Okay. Chase, that pretty much does it for us here. Um, next episode is going to be out next Tuesday morning, a week from today. Uh, Working on it in the minute. It's not 100% confirmed, but it's 90% there. Uh, Going to have a guest we've had on before. Um, should hopefully be Sam Purley from Hornets.com. He joined us last preseason to talk about previewing the season a little bit. So we're looking forward to having Sam on here. And by, I think, next season, next week, is going to be the 23rd of October. And that means we'll be just three days out from the Hornets' first regular season game. But at that point, their last preseason game will finish. That's against the Celtics. And I'm just counting down to the big day. So, uh, yeah, Chase, I will catch you next week and hopefully we'll have Sam on board as well. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you then. <laughs>